So this morning, uh, we continue with our series, Mentored, uh, a series on discipleship, on following Jesus more closely, especially as we near Easter, this season of Lent. <clears throat> and um, talking more about following Jesus faithfully and what that looks like. And I think in a lot of Christian circles, that gets translated as trying really hard not to mess up. Um, Dallas Willard talked about it as the gospel of sin management. Whereas Christians can get tempted or they can, they can be led to believe that life is all about trying to use your willpower to not mess up. And I think that's, uh, that's not a very helpful way to look at faith. And actually, um, Dallas Willard had this next thought of that actually that being a follower of Jesus is not just about trying to manage sin. It's also about trying to move closer to Jesus. And he said we do this through practices. And we're talking about this today, about some of these practices, these things that we can do. But it's a desire to move closer to him. Rather than trying so hard not to do it wrong, we practice doing it right. And we'll get more into that today. Um, I've been working on this passage for two weeks now, actually. Um, and, man, we need Jesus' teaching on sexuality in our culture today. As we've been talking about, I've been thinking about it. In one sense, our culture is in a sexual free-for-all. And what I mean by that is um, lots of people refuse rules. They say, you know what? I'm not in for your rules you're going to try and put on me. I would prefer just to do it my way. Um, so we get people making up their own rules about what's okay when it comes to sexuality. Um, and generally, it's um, people go with like whatever feels good to me and whatever the other person is willing to consent to. And so that is sort of like the, the bar gets lowered to that when it comes to sexual purity. Not only that, not only is our society in a free-for-all, like where everybody's making their own ideas, their own judgments about what's right and wrong, but it's also this societal free-fall. And what I mean by that is uh, sexual, sexual harassment and abuse. Um, I'm not sure if it's growing. It's possible it's growing, but it is very much becoming more, um, people are becoming more aware of it. It's being reported more. I've been thinking about it even as I was preparing this, this for this Sunday about the, like the number of movie producers and actors, uh, rap stars, professional athletes, politicians, numerous people who have had sexual and moral failures, some of them even going to prison. And I think about this too, like even in the church, how these things happen. I was reading an article just a couple weeks ago about um, Archbishop Pell, um, who was, I think he was sort of like, the, he was a treasurer of the Vatican, so Catholic high, like I think like number three in the Catholic Church, um, was arrested um, and, and, and for sexual, um, I think, abuse of kids and when he was Archbishop of Australia. And before we think like, oh, well, that's, you know, that group, it also happens in evangelical circles. I was reading an article this week about Bill Hybels, the founder of Willow Creek Church, and the independent study done on him or independent investigation um, found that the, the claims against him were credible. And so you have this evangelical leader who has um, led a giant church in the U.S. I mean, influenced thousands of people also, too, falling um, to sexual misconduct. And so there's this sexual temptation all over. And especially in our society, the exotic, or sorry, excuse me, the erotic is exalted. And I was thinking about that some, you know, in terms of like, just like pornography. You know, you think about it, like a hundred years ago, 
pornography, you actually had to be physically in the presence of a person. And then maybe 50 years ago, things started coming out like in magazines, like magazines like Playboy and others. But today, you can carry access to pornography in your pocket in a phone. Tracy was talking about it with the kids, about technology and how it can be used or misused even by Christians. And so pornography, for an example, um, is one of the things that become um, an epidemic in our society. It's available on your phone 24 hours a day. So, not only like this, this level of pornography, but Jesus, even today, we're going to get into it, he's talking about even about lustful looks, the intent to look at a person lustfully. Um, so he asked this question of how should we live? You know, how do we remain faithful to Jesus? How do we faithfully follow him in a culture like this, in a culture that is really messed up when it comes to sexuality? Some of you might be asking this, te- this question too. You know, some of you are in the stage of life where, where lust and sexual immorality, they seem like distant things for you. They seem like a minimal concern. But for others, you're in a stage of life where sexual temptation is still pretty high. I think about too, especially um, guys, you know, this passage we're going to be reading, to, to, reading through today is definitely Jesus is speaking mainly to men. Uh, I think there's application absolutely for women as well. But Jesus specifically says guys when you're looking at women. And so that happens. And I think maybe as you get older, I think there's some victory there. Um, But it's definitely something that young guys struggle with, I know for sure. Ladies too. um, And I think too, like, you know, we don't often think of women um, having issues with lust. But it it does happen, uh, sometimes physically, but sometimes emotional connection as well. And I'll get more into that. The question that we keep asking then is how do we remain faithful to Jesus in terms of sexuality? Thinking about this, how do we, last or two weeks ago we talked about how do you tame your anger. Um, This week we're looking at how do we tame our lust. So let's get into the passage, all right? If you want to, you can look in your Bibles, um, chapter 5, verse 27, or in your bulletins as well, the passage is there. So Jesus begins with this. He goes, begins again with, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. All right, so Jesus here is quoting the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments from Exodus. Here's the actual quote from the, from the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery from Exodus 20. And I think God gave us this um, in terms of righteousness, but also to protect families, um, to keep our families intact so that uh, guys and ladies, that we would not commit adultery because it tears apart your family. And I think also, too, so that we'd prevent us from destroying other families. So not only do we, like when you commit adultery with someone, not only does it tear apart your family, but it tears apart another family as well. Not only that, but also to prevent betrayal and violence, addiction, all the things that come out of out of adultery, whether it's um, undiscovered or discovered, leads to all sorts of dysfunction in families, all sorts of problems. I think, and two, adultery can cause enormous pain. And I can speak from my own experience. For those of you who are maybe visiting today, I was actually married before when I was in my 20s and um, am divorced um, and then remarried Tracy and had our sons. But um, my first wife, 
um, left for another guy. So I know what it's like uh, to experience adultery and the pain of that and how it tears apart your family. I also realize too how it tears apart not only the couple, um, but also kids. I know how it tears apart friends. I was thinking about that, that I have friends that were good friends of mine that were more, I was friends with them more because I'd connected uh, through uh, my first wife. And after we were divorced, I lost track of those friends. My relationship with them was changed. It's like, I was thinking about it, it's like this emotional bomb um, that goes off. And, you know, oftentimes people in adultery, they think, oh, it's just between the two of us. When really, it's a bomb that levels everyone around them. It destroys uh, relationships, marriages, kids, parents um, of, of the people who are involved. Um, I remember my first wife, her husband, or sorry, her father was so ashamed of what she had done and so embarrassed by it. Um, it causes, it affects friends, people around you. <laughs> they don't know, like, whose side are we on? You know, how do we relate? It's like a bomb that goes off. Um, and so I'm thinking about this and the enormous pain that it causes. And I know that it's kind of up for grabs in our culture. Uh, the idea of sexuality, adultery. Um, and but it's interesting because it's not just relative. You know, the idea that, you know, adultery is <clears throat> forbidden or, or forbidding adultery is just a Christian um, rule. You know, it's just something that Christians are kind of uptight about. You know, I don't think that's true. And the reason why I say that is because I know of um, people, and actually I was talking with um, Janine Stein, who was a former principal at Redfish. She talked about the coupling and decoupling of families and how that affected kids in Redfish. She talked about kids. She said, you know, she could see a difference between kids who had their families intact, their parents were together, versus kids who um, his parents had split up and were divorced and how hard it was on kids. And then you had parents who were entering into new relationships, um, sometimes for like kind of a long time, sometimes just for a while. And how, it, she said, how she could see how, how it played out in the kids' lives, how it played out in their behavior at school. So it does matter. It's not just a relational thing. It's not just um, a Christian being uptight about something. It actually affects life. So Jesus, so it, this is from the Exodus. So Jesus says, he begins with, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And then on verse 28, Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think about how high Jesus has raised the bar. The first thing that I was thinking about as I started reading this is one is just how emphatic it is that Jesus says, but I, I tell you. So scripture says this, the Torah says this, but I, I tell you, that anyone who looks at another woman lustfully commits adultery in his heart. And just the fact that Jesus has the authority to say that is powerful. You know, we've had 2,000 years to get used to this passage. But when Jesus spoke it, no doubt people fell over. <laughs> because Jesus is not only taking the word of God, he's actually saying that he has a place above it that he can add to it, that he can intensify it, that Jesus is the word of God and he has a power over the word of God. So he says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. 
The word behind the word lustful here is epithumio. Uh, you guys don't need to worry about that too much. But it's this idea of looking with this intent to desire, this intent to covet someone, to, to go beyond just noticing like, oh, that's, a, that's an attractive person, to start thinking about what it would be like to be with them, to be romantically with them. So it's this, this different intent. And I wanted to just kind of give this, like uh, put it on like a continuum for us, <clears throat> like this. So I don't think Jesus is talking about if you notice an attractive person. So ladies, if you see a guy and you think to yourself, wow, that's a handsome fellow. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think if we notice someone, it's not saying that Jesus is like, not saying that we can't see someone of the opposite sex. Because if that were true, we'd all be in trouble because we're all in a mixed company right here. The next thing that you start thinking about or sort of in the middle somewhere where it starts to get a bit fuzzy is what you're thinking. <clears throat> I think it is okay. And I think Jesus, uh, by what he's talking about here, the word epithumio does not include if you saw someone, say if I were to see an attractive woman, I said, wow, that lady is a beautiful lady. I don't think that that is problematic in and of itself. But if I go beyond that, if I start thinking like, wow, that's a beautiful lady, I wonder what it would be like to have dinner with her. Or I wonder what it would be like to, have, to be sexually intimate with her. Absolutely, that's where the thinking starts to change. That is what I think Jesus is talking about here in terms of that being sinful. And then at the very other end where the red, as in problematic, as in trouble, is when you start imagining. Is when you start imagining this is what it would be like to be with her. And I'm going to get into this a minute too with, um, with ladies. I'm sometimes, you know, I think ladies, um, it is a little bit different. I'm not a lady, so forgive me if I misstate this. But I think women are sometimes tempted um, physically. They see an attractive guy. But I think more common, I think, is women who are attracted relationally. So maybe they're not thinking, I wonder what it would be like to be romantically intimate with this person, but really, I wonder what it would be like to have a wonderful dinner with them. I wonder what it would be like to have coffee in the morning with them and have them attend to me, unlike my spouse does. So we have to get into that, and I, we're going to talk some more about that in a minute. But I wanted to talk about this continuum just to kind of help us see that Jesus is not saying uh, men and women never look at the opposite sex. He's not even saying, I don't think, you know, if you notice someone who's beautiful, to acknowledge that, or, or someone who's attractive. But what he's saying is what we think and what our heart is, is doing when we see that person. All right. So the epithumio is this idea, this lusting, is the imagining with the idea, with the purpose of coveting them, of wanting them, of desiring them to be with them. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's interesting because he uses epithumio in, actually God uses it in the 10th commandment. So originally, or from a minute ago, we were talking about the 7th commandment. This is the 10th commandment. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's spouse, or sorry, your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this idea, this covet, this word covet here is actually epithumio, the word we've been just talking about, the word that Jesus is using. So it's interesting, I realized that this last week, that Jesus is actually using the 10th commandment to intensify the 7th commandment. So Jesus is using the 10th commandment, thou shall not covet, to interpret what it means at a heart level that thou shall not even commit adultery, even with our heart. So that's interesting. But then Jesus' point is to get to the heart of the issue. He says, But I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
The issue is the heart. About where is our heart? What is the intent of our heart? The other thing we need to look at here too is Jesus says anyone who looks. And this is important because there's some, I think, I've heard people say some things that are, um, that don't help, for example. <laughs> you know, like, well, if, if women wouldn't dress like that, then I wouldn't look at them. You know, Jesus here in this passage puts the responsibility squarely on the one doing the lusting. He doesn't say, but I tell you, anyone who causes somebody else to look. He says, anyone who does the looking. Anyone who does the lusting. I think it's good for us because we can't put this on somebody else. Guys, if we see an attractive woman and we begin to look after them with the purpose of coveting them, or lusting after them, or imagining with them. Like, that's on us, regardless of what they're wearing. If you're at the beach and they're wearing a bikini, or if you're out in the freezing cold and they're wearing a giant puffy down jacket that all you can see is from here, it's on us, guys. Ladies, the same thing. It's on you to not look at someone with lust. That's not to say that we couldn't help each other out a bit and especially as Christians, to help each other out by the things we wear. I think um, guys are probably more helped by ladies. If ladies, if you wore things that were more, more, more modest, I think that helps guys more than the other way around. Um, you know, if guys are wearing stuff. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's helpful for us to wear things, guys and ladies, to wear things that, that aren't uh, tempting for the other sex, for the other um, gender. Now, this gets into a thorny issue because there's common things where people say, well, I should be able, I have the right to wear whatever I want to, and it's up to them. And there's, there's truth to that. Um, you know, like, for example, I mean, um, like my wife, Tracy, um, she could wear really short skirts and very tight tops, and she has the right to do that. But, I think also, too, that she would know, like, that's not really helpful to guys around me, especially Christian guys who are trying to be faithful to Jesus. It doesn't help them to dress like that. So as Christians, like our goal, um, one, we put others above ourselves. So it's helpful for us to wear things that are modest, both guys and girls. It helps those around us. And I've been talking some about this, about the difference between men and women. So I think, I mean, it's pretty general, and I'm going to use stereotypes here, that guys are much more visually oriented. So if we see an attractive woman, like that's more um, problematic for guys than I think maybe is for girls. But I talked about it just a minute ago, is that for ladies, maybe it's not thinking like, wow, I wonder what that guy looks like with his shirt off. It might be, I wonder what it would be like to have an engaging conversation with him over dinner. The relational, the emotional connection, I think is maybe more tempting for women than the, attraction, than the visual attra- attraction. And so this isn't, Jesus doesn't really address women like technically in this passage. He says, uh, guys, when you're looking at women, he doesn't really have a specific part for women, but I think we can maybe extrapolate if you allow me to do that. Now just feel free to get, uh, disagree with me. This is Jason's opinion here. I, I totally say that up front. Um, but for ladies, um, if guys need to watch kind of what they think about women that they think are attractive, Ladies, I think I would, I would encourage you to watch what you think about relationally with guys. 
that you keep your heart, you save your heart for your spouse, for your husband. You save your heart for them. When you're thinking about, wow, I wonder what it would be like to sit on a beach and have coffee with, make sure it's your husband, <laughs> not the guy at work or the guy at the grocery store who's so kind and thoughtful to you. This is how we keep our heart pure. This is how we keep our heart focused uh, on our spouse for the sake of faithfulness to Jesus. So we've been talking some about seeing people, which I think many of us all have to work out. But we couldn't have this conversation this morning without talking or addressing the issue of pornography as well. You know, I don't have the latest statistics, but in terms of uh, men in general, um, and there's statistically some women who have issues with pornography, um, but even within the church, the statistics for that, I'd be naive to think that there weren't uh, possibly some of us here in this room who have an issue with pornography. And so we need to talk about it. Now, based on this passage, Jesus is clearly saying that pornography is sinful for us. It separates us from God. It absolutely separates us from our spouse, if you have one. It puts separation between us. Pornography, you know, people might think, well, it's just private, it's quiet, like nobody else knows I do it, but it destroys. It destroys relationships. Even if it's completely still a secret, it still destroys relationships. It separates you from the people that you care about. I mean, I think about this. If there's anything that we are ashamed to admit openly to people, that's a problem. Those are things that we hide and we end up hiding ourselves. So if there's something that for example, like pornography, which most people are ashamed to admit, like that's a signal for us that this is not good or healthy and we need help. Not only that, but, um, and I'm going to just be very generalized here. Forgive me if this is too stereotypical, but I think it's more of a guy issue, pornography. But I'm thinking about like how women feel about it, especially wives. I've heard wives who have said, I just feel so ashamed. My husband is looking at pornography and I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like there's something wrong with me. It's um, degrading to women. And so guys, if we have this issue, it's not just a private thing. It's not okay as long as nobody knows. It wrecks relationships. It wrecks us. It wrecks our spouse. Not only that, but there are people who actually have addictions to pornography where they feel like they can't stop, even though they hate it and they wish they could, they cannot. And addictions are serious things, but they also definitely separate us from God. It is hard to follow Jesus well with an addiction, especially something like an addiction to pornography. Not only that, but the women generally, sometimes young men, but the women and kids whose lives are ruined to provide pornography. That alone is reason enough for us to hate it. There are kids, there are children whose lives are ruined. They are turned into sexual slaves so they can provide images for pornography. Lives that are ruined to do this. Okay, so I probably don't need to convince you too much of how bad it is. But maybe it's helpful to hear. If you are wrestling with pornography or something like adultery or lusting after someone, it's helpful to hear someone say it out loud that these things are sinful 
they wreck our relationship with God. They wreck our, they wreck our relationship with one another. But this is not the unforgivable sin. And what I mean by that is that there is grace. There is grace for, for anybody who has an issue with pornography or adultery or lust. There's grace. And if you feel like, Jason, I, I have trouble in one of these areas and I don't know where to go, I don't come begin by coming and talking with me. <laughs> or begin by praying, Lord God, please forgive me, I need help, and then come get help. I want to help you. I know there's fear of condemnation. There's fear that um, everybody will hate me. And there might be some people who are unable to get past it. There are sometimes spouses that are unable to get past it. That is a consequence. I don't want to paper over that. But between you and God, there is grace. And the cycle is this, is to repent and move closer to Jesus. Unrepentant sin does nothing but put us farther and farther away from God. The worse we feel about it, the more ashamed we are, the less we feel like we can come to God. And so when we repent, it opens up the floodgates and we can come and speak to Jesus. We can get closer to him. So this is a huge issue. Adultery, lust, pornography, these are huge issues that I know that we've just touched the surface this morning. So if you have something you're like, Jason, man, I need help. Come and speak with me. We'll begin praying and working through it. Not only will it improve your relationship with God, it will work on relationships around you as well. Okay, so Jesus makes it pretty clear <clears throat> not to commit adultery. But then he makes it And he says this, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says this, the next part he says, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, this is a really tricky part because as I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, my general kind of approach to it is that Jesus actually means what he's saying here. And so I don't mean to be confusing, but I think Jesus is actually using uh, hyperbole here. He's overstating it here. It was a Jewish rhetorical practice, um, basically a way of teaching. So he's saying, like he's really amped it up here, um, because I don't think Jesus is actually saying that our right eye causes us to look lustfully at a person or our right hand causes us to steal. That's not actually what he's saying here. But he's saying how, how big a deal it is. If you have these issues, you need to fix them. Okay, because, I mean, think about this. Um, um, one, it's not like our eye that causes us to look lustfully at a person. Jesus even talked about it just a minute ago. He said, um, it's in your heart that where this happens. It's not your eyes, your heart. And and, you know, we know that too, like the heart was sort of like a Jewish way of saying like our mind. Our mind is where we think these thoughts, our brain. You know, we can't cut out our brain, we would die. We can't amputate our brain. So Jesus is speaking uh, in hyperbole here, like in extreme terms to make the point. You know, and there have been Christians in the past um, who have taken it literally. 
um, I think it was uh, uh, St. Basil in um, what was modern-day Turkey, who actually um, um, castrated himself in response to this text. And the whole, I mean, throughout history, the church has said, you know, this is not the point. It's not that you go through life cutting off parts because it's not about your hand or your eye or your genitals. It's about your heart. It's a heart issue. And even Jesus mentions it here. And if you look at this passage, the point is, look at which part is common here. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. If you put all this together in both passages, it's this part. It's better for you to lose this vital part of your life than it is to go to hell. And so I think what he's saying here is if you have something in your life, if you have, maybe you're in an adulterous relationship and you feel like, oh, this is life. I can't, like, this person now is a part of me. I can't just cut it off with them. Jesus is saying, if there is something sinful in your life, cut it off. End the relationship. Maybe you're thinking like, Jason, I, this is how I get through my day is by looking at pornography. Jesus is saying, cut it off. Amputate it. Or maybe you're, some of you are thinking like, Jason, you know, this is how I get through life by I see an attractive person and I imagine what it would be like to be with them. That's how I get through. Jesus is saying, amputate those thoughts. Cut it off. If something is causing us to sin, cut it out of our lives. It is better to go limping into heaven than leaping into hell. But the point I wanted to make this morning, especially, is that Jesus' focus is on the heart. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to 35, Jesus speaks to the heart of the Pharisees. Listen to what he says. He says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Jesus' point here is that good trees produce good good fruit. A good heart produces a faithful life. Then he says this. He continues to say them. He goes, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them. The good that's stored up in their heart. An evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. It's about the heart. And we talked about this some last week. We talked about this some last week about um, about last week about boundaries. So to use this analogy here, the analogy like this is a boundary that puts us in this room, people of God gathered here. One of the boundaries is thou shall not commit adultery. And most of us here know that we don't want to go out there. We don't want to cross this boundary. But we also have to be careful because in, in Jesus' day, there were people who were saying, you know, I haven't literally committed adultery, but yeah, I guess I do look at women wrong. I do lust, I look at them with the intent to lust after them. I imagine what it would be like to be with them. Jesus is saying, don't even do that. Don't, don't lean on the door saying, well, I'm not outside yet. Jesus says, do not commit adultery. And then he says this, don't even... 
Don't even look at a woman with the purpose of lust. Don't even look out the window. Because you can say, well, I'm not out there, but I'm going to sit here and look for a while. Jesus is saying, don't live at the boundaries. Jesus is not after better law keepers. He's not looking for people who hold the boundaries better. He's looking for people. He's calling us back to the center. I'm going to stand by the Bible, the Word of God here, signaling Jesus. This is where he wants us. He doesn't want us lined up around the edge, around the boundaries, saying to one another, oh, don't cross over. No, no, don't do that. He wants all of us gathered at the center, closer to him. Because when we're here, closer to Jesus, we don't care what's outside. We don't want to go through the door. We aren't interested in looking out the window. Jesus is after a renovated heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. About changing our hearts that we desire to follow closer to Jesus. So this morning I think about how we apply this passage from Jesus. First of all, as we refuse to lean up against the boundaries. All right, Jesus says, don't commit adultery. So we don't. He says, don't even look at another person with lustful thoughts, lustful intention. So we do our best and we won't. But I think Jesus is after bigger fish than that. His goal is not just that we would go through lives, go through our life trying to say, I'm not going to do that, but actually that we'd go through our life standing closer to him. Jesus desires that we would move closer to him. And we'll get into that after Easter when Jesus starts talking about devotion, practices like prayer and giving alms and fasting. Jesus desires that we would be around him, that our relationship would grow. Because I can tell you from my own experience, the closer that we are to him, the less we want to go across the boundary. It becomes untenable. It becomes uh, distasteful to us. Not just that we like resist it because that's we know we're supposed to, but we resist it because we don't even want to do it anymore. That's Jesus' point, is that we would move closer to him. Now I think about like kind of the implications for that. Imagine if we kept moving closer to Jesus, and especially in this area of sexuality, right? If not only did we have marriages where we didn't commit adultery, which would be pretty phenomenal in our day and age, but we had marriages where husbands didn't even want to look at women with lust in their eyes. Where ladies didn't even imagine what it would be like to have a romantic dinner with some guy they see walking down the street. Imagine how it would be in our, in our marriages, how that would speak to people around us. People would begin to say, you know, I want that. There's a lot of things I don't understand about Christianity, but they have amazing marriages. They have amazing relationships with each other. I want that. Here's how we get this new heart. Spending time with Jesus. This is how we get the new heart. Practicing righteousness with him. And you might be thinking, you know, Jason, what, what do you mean practicing righteousness? Spending time in prayer. And not just, you know, God, here's my list of people that need help, but Jesus, I want to be closer to you. I want to know you better. I'm just here listening, speak to me. We get closer to Jesus by praying. We get closer to Jesus by reading God's word. 
You know, maybe reading Proverbs, like you find yourself especially close to Jesus. Honestly, for me, like even this morning, I tried. I was reading Acts out of the out of the um, Lenten reader, and it was good. And it was uh, I heard God speaking through some things about to me about being brought in. Um, I was reading yesterday's reading, but I also then I read the Gospels to hear Jesus speak. So reading the Word of God to be closer to Him. Some people feel closer to Jesus when they're fasting. Some people feel closer to Jesus when they're giving somebody secretly a bunch of money to help them out with a bill. Some people feel closer to Jesus when they are serving in our community. Some people feel closer to Jesus when they are sitting quietly on a mountainside somewhere. All these different practices that we have that bring us closer to Him. That's what Jesus is talking about this morning. He's looking after not, he's not looking for a bunch of people who follow the rules better. He's looking for people who have a renovated heart. And the rules will follow, the, the faithfulness will follow. So this morning, as we keep moving, as we keep growing closer to Jesus in this season of discipleship, if you have issues with, with looking with, uh, with other sex, uh, with other opposite sex, with lust, or with adultery, or with pornography, come speak to me. But for the rest of you, hear this word. God desires a renovated heart. And we do that by spending time with him. Amen.